What's up, people? Welcome to another episode of the Supreme Decisions Legal Minute Podcast, and I am your host, Supreme Decisions. And today, I want to talk about something which actually stems from probably one of the, actually the most popular video on my site, on YouTube, which is Las Vegas police officers behaving poorly. Well, today's episode, I'm going to deal with a variety of things that deal with things such as exigent circumstances, the use of deadly force, and even Las Vegas Police Department policy. Now, this is going to be one that teaches you also aims at the police apologist because I was having a conversation with someone and we talked about something that deals with the totality of circumstances. Pretty sure you guys remember that because I believe it's video 50 of 100 simply titled, He Said, She Said. Because basically a police officer showing up can't just then place someone in handcuffs without getting or going through the process of totality of circumstances. Because one, you at least need to find out what's going on before you start putting people in handcuffs, before you start restricting folks' movement, before you start doing anything that, you know, violates one's human rights. Well, the reason why I'm doing the Las Vegas Police Department is because recently a man by the name of Byron Wilson was killed. Basically, for not having a bicycle light. Yes, that was a crime. Not having a bicycle light. Four officers killed Byron Williams. Now, the reason why this is significant is simply because... I say things like, the police are responsible for your well-being when you are in their custody. They have this thing called free will, which is generally described as police officer discretion. So they have a conscious choice, which is done through either ignorance, which is due to poor training, or willful acts when they know they're doing something that is not lawful, which is generally why a lot of times you see them, such as the Hernandez case in Las Vegas where the father was arrested, or the Ahmed, I cannot remember the attorney's last name, where he and his frat brothers were arrested simply for protesting and recording while they were interacting from more than a hundred feet away from the police. Because here's the thing, if you're doing the right thing, being recorded doing it shouldn't be a problem. Most people actually are recording stupid things and it's okay. But when you want someone to see you in a different light, you generally create a light that is different. You don't enhance the poor light that's on you. And that's generally why police officers don't like to be filmed because they know what they're doing is not lawful. They also understand that things such as their own body cameras will not only protect them, but it will convict them if it falls in the hands of someone that is defending themselves. Well, these four officers were named in a federal lawsuit simply for basically handcuffing a man, putting a knee on his head, shoulders, and back. Now, there were a lot of people when George Floyd had the carotid artery restricted, which is a jujitsu move, and he was unable to breathe. A lot of people, oh, well, on your neck, you can still breathe if it's on your neck. Well, that same logic goes, if I'm choking you, 
my arm is a lot lighter than the weight of my body. But if I am pressing down with just two fingers on your carotid artery, you stop receiving oxygen to the brain, which means you're probably going to asphyxiate. You know, not be able to breathe. This is one of the things that was done when you're laying 200, 400, 800 pounds on someone's back, neck, and upper body. They asphyxiate. Even if they are able to get off the person after they lose consciousness. Now, the Las Vegas police officers that are named in this lawsuit is Patrick Campbell, Benjamin Vasquez, Alexander Gonzalez, and Rocky Romain, or Roman, or Roman, however you pronounce it. Now, what has happened, the craziest part about this is there was a fact-finding. There was other things that was filed. These officers were continuing to be on duty after this happened. Now, many of you who listened to the podcast where I spoke about or actually read through. No, it wasn't a podcast. It was actually a live show. Where I read through the proposed police reform bill. The one thing that I highlighted in this entirety of that bill was there was no call to retrain or properly train police officers to deal with the public. Now, quite sure you all remember the conversation I had where I spoke about the young man, I believe in the officer, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, that's in Atlanta. He was tired, I'm so tired. But he spoke about, why are they not smiling when they see me? But I spoke about a conversation that I had with another police officer, and he had mentioned one thing. They're being punished for doing what they're trained to do. So now, in this lawsuit that Patrick Campbell has against him, Benjamin Vasquez has against him, Alexander Gonzalez has against him, and Rocky Romain has against him, states some of the things that many of us have issue with. Now, the one thing that stood out to me in the lawsuit that was named was failing to train law enforcement officers about dangerous and likely injury when subjecting individuals to prone restraint and placing the officer's body weight on subject's back, leading to cardiorespiratory distress which generally means you lay your upper body weight on somebody or you lay your weight on somebody's upper body cardio respiratory cardio respiratory that means there's going to be a restriction which means distress that's going to be placed on your breathing. Because a lot of times, many of us have, have a cold. We'll have a chest cold. VIX has made this the most renowned thing I've ever seen in my life. A chest cold restricts your breathing. Literally, mucinex loosens stress or cardiorespiratory distress. Now, see, when we think of it in those terms... How far-fetched is it to believe that someone's having an issue breathing with a 200-plus pound human being laying on them? If mucus that is in our body causes us to wheeze and causes cardiorespiratory distress, how far-fetched is it to believe that a 200-plus pound human laying on someone's back, chest, or neck would not cause similar or not, if not greater, distress on one's breathing. 
Because if our breathing is labored, we put on the Vicks. If our breathing is labored, we use the Mucinex. Why? To relieve the distress on our cardiorespiratory area. Now, a lot of times I give this because I want to break it down to the stupid. Keep it simple. Keep it simple, stupid. Kiss. Abraham Lincoln kind of rolled in on that. He wanted to keep it so simple even a child can understand. When I give you these types of examples, it's easier to now understand. Like, damn, yeah, I do have trouble breathing when I have a cold. Why would I not have trouble breathing with a 200-plus-pound person laying on me? The next part goes into failing to train law enforcement officers about the dangerous likelihood of injury of failing to use a recovery position or proper tactics and a positional restraint is used, utilized. What happens is a lot of times we're trained on holes. We're trained on maneuvers. We're trained on certain things. Because you remember I told you a police officer at any given time has seven non-lethal weapons against them. Now, even used in excess because most people have no idea that the cardio hold that's in jujitsu is banned from competition because it's a lethal hold. It is something that you won't see in the UFC. It's actually one you will not see in the one championship. And they actually allow you to knee an opponent in the head when they're down. They allow kicks to a downed opponent. These are some of the most dangerous maneuvers. We're training these officers on how to protect themselves, but we're not training them on how to not only while they're protecting themselves, but to protect themselves with the people that they're supposed to be protecting. Whoops. We're training them on how to protect themselves. But we're not training them on how to protect themselves while protecting those they swore an oath to protect. Now, it has several others that deal with training of the law enforcement officers to provide medical assistance. Because again, I'm going to say this again. When I tell you they're responsible for your well-being when you are in their custody, if that was not true, if that was not part of their fiduciary duty, how could you then say they were not trained properly on how to provide medical aid or get assistance? If they're not supposed to give assistance. They are not trained properly on the sanctity of life. Because again, we're teaching them how to protect themselves, but not to protect those that they are choosing to protect. And then they are allowing the dangerous and excessive force using during and after the arrest of subjects. This is brought up because these officers were exonerated by the Los Angeles Police Department. The simple fact is every year, officer-involved shootings escalate. Police complaint about excessive force escalates. Police brutality lawsuits in Las Vegas escalate. Notice I don't say become greater. It's escalating. Because it's not going up just a little bit. We're not seeing a one or two difference. We're seeing a multitude of difference. You're talking about in 2017, you had 123 complaints. You had two actions that actually were upheld. To the year when everybody's in the house, 2020, you had more than 250 
this year is on pace to break even that with less than a 1% disciplinary rate. But that's why I bring this up. Because a lot of times, most of these complaints are excused because there is no action that follows behind it. Now, why would I why would I read that? Because I want you to understand something. I'm laying a baseline. Because one of the things I also talked about in the Freedom of Information Act, it requires a police department, if you request it specifically for their policy or their duties, for them to turn it over. Well, the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department partners with the community use of force policy. It's 25 pages long. I have a copy of it. And now you've heard the things that went on. 50-year-old man on a bicycle, wasn't driving, wasn't breaking any law. He didn't have a bicycle light. Four officers decided, made a conscious decision through will or ignorance to not to one, uh, <laughs> to approach this man, restrict his movement, and then take his life because they thought it was a joke. Now, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I believe this is page three. And I also want you to understand something. The things I'm speaking about today are not my opinion. At least not in this entirety. I am literally reading this from their policy, the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, their policy on the governmental authorization for use of force. It is also codified in the Nevada Revised Statutes. The first section I'm going to read is going to deal with Tennessee v. Gardner. And it's, again, a 1985 case. Because Tennessee v. Gardner gave you standards for police encounters and their use of force. Because this is also something that I spoke about a young man because we have several officers shooting people in the back. And then I also gave you several examples of what, what actually shows you what probable cause is. Because remember, I tell you, probable cause is something that is tangible. A smell is not probable cause. And these are the things that I, I, I'm going to get into, but I want you to understand this. The first code, this Nevada Revised Statute, is 171 point. One four five five. Now, you're going to hear that reference several times throughout this conversation or throughout this podcast because I want you to get a full understanding of this. Because officers may use force to protect themselves or others, overcome resistance, to effect a lawful detention, a lawful arrest, or to conduct a lawful search. Officers should, if reasonable, make clear their intent to detain, arrest, or search the subject. I'm going to say this again because whenever I read Terry v. Ohio, there were a few people that stated, well, an officer does not have to articulate. I read the Georgia Constitution that said the officers are amenable at all times. I'm going to say that amenable because most people don't know words because we're used to, in, in Jay-Z's words, they've dumbed down the audience so they can double their dollars because we've established that the police department or the policing system in our nation is designed for revenue. 
So what they've done is they no child left behind, which is leaving every child behind. They've allowed Ebonics because, again, if you don't understand the language that they're speaking, you can't defend yourself against them. So amenable, easily controlled. If they're easily controlled, they are now servants. When I say they must articulate a crime in Terryville, Ohio, that means they don't have a choice. In Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department policy, officers should make clear their intent to detain. Officers should make clear their intent to arrest. Officers should make clear their intent to search the subject. Why? Because they need your consent. They have procedures. They have a timeline. All of these things are laid out because I've told you the Supreme Court cases are giving you one thing. They're not subjective. They're situational. Because even if reasonable, here's the great part about it. There's this thing called exigent circumstances. What make them unreasonable? Because Missouri v. McNeely in 2013, a variety of circumstances may give rise to an exigent sufficient to justify a warrantless search, including law and officers need to provide emergency assistance. Whoops, I'm going to say that one more time. It includes a law enforcement officer's need to... Let me slow down. Because I want to make sure you understand me. It includes law enforcement's need to provide emergency assistance. Includes a law enforcement's need to provide emergency assistance. So when you hear someone say, Failing to train law enforcement officers to provide medical aid or give assistance. When you hear me say they're responsible, they're liable for your well-being while in their care. Because they have made a conscious, a willful choice through ignorance or through acceptance. Because they are bound by their fiduciary duty tied to their oath of office. These are not just words. These are not just things that I'm saying. These are things that they have written. You can't argue with yourself. These are things that are written in their books. But note, just how I'm putting all of this together. I don't just talk. I don't just say things. I don't just do things. I'm not just giving you something. Because I too could dumb down for my audience and double my dollars. But I want you to understand. Because lyrically, I could be Talib Kweli. What I'm giving you is substance. What I'm giving you is food for thought. What I'm offering you is direction. What I'm offering you is sight. Because exigent circumstances may also occur when a police officer is in high pursuit or involved with the suspect that is Possibly involved in criminal activity. Now, Hofstra had something that was that was beautiful. Because Hofstra, most of you have probably haven't really heard of them, but Hofstra is a pretty good law department. And they use a Black's Law Dictionary. Wouldn't that be something? Because I was told I was wrong for actually reading one and actually applying the things that are in the Black's Laws Dictionary. But we're going to use their definition from their Black's Laws dif Dictionary definition from Hofstra Law Review. H-O-F 
S-T-R-A Law Review, Hofstra. Black's Law Definition or Dictionary defines exigency in part as demand, want, need, imperativeness, any event or occasion combined with circumstances calling for immediate action or remedy. A pressing need. Demand. Critical period or condition. Why? Because the right of the people to be secure in their persons, homes, papers, and effect against unreasonable searches and seizures should not be violated, and no warrants shall issue but upon probable cause supported. Say that again. No warrant shall issue but upon probable cause supported by oath of affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. This is one of those things that you can't get around because you have to have this thing otherwise called consent. Because you remember I also spoke about the conversation in the Supreme Court. Well, I believe it was Miley V. Hogan, where police officer with the 104 IQ doesn't have the wherewithal to determine what probable cause is. They need a judge for that. Or they need your consent. Say that one more time. Police officer with the 104 IQ, Jordan B. Prince, Jordan B. Prince, 104 IQ, all right, doesn't have the wherewithal to determine what probable cause is Miley V. Hogan. So they have to defer to a magistrate, which must be neutral, because you remember when we're talking about these exigent circumstances, they need probable cause. Here in this Las Vegas lawsuit, we're talking about they don't even understand what probable cause is. And then that also needs to be supported. Why? Because that's how a crime is determined. So they must make clear their intention to detain. Why? Terry v. Ohio. Because they must articulate when they're restricting your locomotion. If not, it's a Fourth Amendment violation. They can only arrest you if there's probable cause of an actual crime, which means they must have standing. In order to have standing, I've gone over that too. There has to be an injured party and, and an action related to the person's being arrested behavior. In order to search, they need either your consent or they need a copy of a warrant from a judge. Because here, here now, we're going to go into, again, because I don't want to get too far off of where I'm at. Because, again, we're still on the Vital Revised Statute 171.1455. Because this is the importance of what I'm talking about. I'm just piecing things together. I have the big-ass puzzle, but I want you to make sure you get it. Because even in their legal standards, they quote Tennessee B. Gardner from 1995 which is officers are legally authorized to use deadly force to affect an arrest when it is compliant with Nevada revised statutes. And remember I told you the three biggest words in law, if, and, or, because that means something else needs to be there and legal standards under Tennessee v. Gardner. So not only do they have to be under the revised codes of Nevada, they have to also be under the guidelines of Tennessee v. Gardner's. Now, protect themselves or others from what is reasonably believed to be an imminent threat of death or substantial bodily harm. Here's the great part about that. The word imminent. Now, it's actually defined as about to happen. Archaic means overhanging. 
Now, here's the great part that I actually like because the origin is actually Latin. You know, that dead language they constantly tell you, you know, oh, it's it's a dead language. You don't need to learn Latin. But yet, when we're talking about legal things, pretty much being part of the legal system, we're constantly running into Latin. Now, it means upon or towards. So, when we're looking at another definition that's Latin, it means impending. Impending. These are all forward or aggressive type moves or mannerisms. So when we're talking about shooting someone in the back that's running away, we're talking about protecting themselves or others from what is reasonably believed to be a immediate threat of death. It means death is upon them. Death is towards them. That's why when you have stand your ground, a citizen can't shoot someone in their back. Because the threat is no longer imminent. They also to prevent a fleeing suspect. Oh, let me, let me, let, I actually said that wrong. Let me correct that. To prevent the escape of a fleeing felon who the officer has probable cause to believe has committed a violent felony crime and is an imminent threat to human life if escaped should occur now i'm I'm gonna say that i I, I have to say this one more time because i spoke about three steps of a crime one of those steps is a police officer witnessing a felony that's actually an old video it's probably about three years old now i spoke about a police officer witnessing a felony now the funny part of this is actually understanding what is called or what the whole purpose of this portion of the conversation comes from and it comes from the protection of one's privacy because that is one thing that is deeply rooted not only in the constitution of the united states but in a human rights doctrine I'm going to say that the human rights doctrine. Because, again, these are rights that are not given to you by man. So man can't take those away. But there are restrictions. And you understand the Constitution is a book of restrictions for those that are governing, not those that are governed. That's why when you have something called the warrant requirement mandating authorization by imperial or impartial magistrate based upon probable cause. Remember that is supported by oath or affirmation, which balances the interest in privacy in one's home with the public need of effective law enforcement. And I here's the thing. I always tell people, I don't think anybody ever, I don't think I've met a person that hates cops. I do understand a lot of people that hate ineffective law enforcing. Because most of law enforcement is not enforcing law. Which is why when we talk about the loss of qualified immunity or absolute immunity, it's done through ignorance or willful acts. Either way, it's done through free will of the officer. It's something that is given away, just like your rights are given away with consent. You have to understand it because here's the thing. When you're talking about the point of the Fourth Amendment, which often is not gauged by zealous officers. Or excuse me, is often not grasped by zealous officers. That would be those that are just doing stuff. It's not that it denies law enforcement the support of the unusual inferences, which reasonable men draw from evidence. It's protective consent in requiring that these 
inferences be drawn by a neutral and detached magistrate instead of being judged by the officer engaged in the often competitive enterprise of bettering. What, what, most, most, basically, doing the totality of circumstances, you have someone with a low IQ. The one thing you don't want them doing or being able to constantly grasp is thinking. Again, these are not my terms. These are not my words. I am literally reading this. And where did this come from? Hofstra. Which, what are they speaking from? Peyton v. New York. Because, again, they're understanding who they're dealing with. They're understanding those that are around. They're understanding who is enforcing this. Because when we're talking about determining if someone should even be using force, and how it's being done, even when it's codified. Because remember, I've told you, I haven't given you the cases on that yet, but I've told you about that because of the selective incorporation doctrine, that state statutes, codes and ordinances, must follow Supreme Court decisions and the United States Constitution. Or they are void for vagueness. Which means, when I'm telling you about Tennessee v. Gardner, which is a Supreme Court case, and we're talking about Nevada Revised Statute 171.1455, we're talking about the same thing. Oftentimes, whenever I give you things such as a discovery package, or I give you a mode of suppression, or I give you a bill of particulars, these are things I'm also showing you that are codified, even things that I've learned now, in multiple states, in most states, the, re the revocation of presumptions is codified. Why? Because there are Supreme Court cases that support this. There's a Constitution that supports this. These are things that are human rights. Understand that. So, here's the one part that I actually love. Officers will give a warning before the use of deadly force. Now, I spoke about their video, my most viewed video, which is actually, um, I believe it's News Now Nevada that was actually in engaged in it. But I pointed out the fact that when we talk about these things, we talk about stock language. The first thing the officer did when he got out of his truck was he grabbed his gun and walked towards News Now Nevada and said, I am in fear for my life. You also remember that because the young man that shot Philando Castile yelled, I am in fear for my life. The young man that, the young lady that killed, I believe his name was, um, he was on the side of the road and he was walking away with his hands up, who shot him in the back, stated she was in fear for her life while there was 20 other officers around her with guns. She got exonerated. There was also a young man or another young lady by the name of, Amy Geiger. She broke into someone else's house, yelled, I'm in fear for my uh, life, and shot and killed both them Jean. I just stated the same thing that was used in four different states by one set of people. We're being punished for doing what we're trained to do. Now, that was said by somebody in Atlanta. Everybody's using stock language. They're not understanding the meaning of words. I dumbed down for my audience. Yet, even in their own statutes and policies, they are required to use a neutral magistrate or get consent. And they're not doing it. They must articulate. They must give a warning before using deadly force. Yet, the use of deadly force with 
multiple 200 plus pound men laying on a 130 pound or 150 pound man's back, neck, and head was feasible because they were doing what they were trained to do for not having a bicycle light. And yes, I did pause for a dramatic effect because I want you to understand what it is that I'm giving you. I want you to actually think about what is being said because I'm also giving you what is being shown. I hope you understood what I just said because I'm not only telling you what is being said, I'm giving you what is being shown. Now, determine the appropriateness of force. Officers will only use a level of force that is objectively reasonable to bring an incident or persons under control and to safely accomplish a lawful purpose. Now, I actually did a video where I define resisting arrest. And the funniest thing to me is that I've seen several people get tickets or have to go to court for resisting without violence when the simple thing is there has to be some sort of resistance to be resisting. And the resistance requires some level of violence. And an unlawful detainment or a lawful arrest, which generally, because that's not what they're trained to do, doesn't happen. So an officer's use of force must balance against the level of resistance exhibited by the subject. So when you lay four bodies on top of one man, what's the level of resistance that that one person can give those four that allowed them to be exonerated by the police department? Because again, remember, I told you, this is Nevada's or Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department's policy. This is their policy. I am reading their policy. I am quoting their statute that they must follow. Yet, I'm asking a question because even in their own words, in their own policies, in their own directions, we can't even answer how something happened. The level of force administered by an officer must be carefully controlled and should not be more than objectively reasonable to overcome the physical threat of harm. So resistance requires a physical threat. Resistance requires a physical threat. So I guess there is no such thing as resistance without physical harm. Whoops. Yes, I did pause for dramatic effect because I want you to understand this. Here's, here's the thing. Oftentimes when we talk about something, we talk about We talk about the fact that I guess we don't believe most officers are human beings. Even the officer Kelvin Dingle believed that officers are trained to be professional and de-escalate situations and exercise control, yet we watch many officers, even lieutenants and sergeants, kick people in the head while they're laying on the ground not de-escalating the situation, actually escalating it, or jumping out of their vehicle and pulling a gun on someone viewing a property. 
or we look at someone that doesn't have a bicycle light that has four officers not only confront him, but to throw him on the ground and lay on top of him until he asphyxiates. These are things that all of us in some form must do something about. Because here's the thing. We often talk about not all cops. Not all cops are bad. 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 But there's this thing called duty to intervene. And what happens is, you heard me state this. You've heard me say it. Am I my brother's keeper? Most of us can answer no to that because if I can't reprimand my brother, then do I really love him? But the duty to intervene, we watch several officers intervene when they're watching these bad cops violate someone's rights and those interveners get alienated. You had one, his life was threatened. You had another that <clears throat> generally the good cops that intervene, at some point they become solo riders. They have other cops, you know, their other brethren don't show up for calls. Why? Because they don't allow the others to violate the rights of other humans. And a lot, of, a lot of cops believe that's a problem. You can't reprimand me. We wear blue. We're supposed to be on the same team. The problem is a bad cop is a good cop's worst nightmare. Because birds of a feather flock together. And this is what makes all cops bad. Because when you're looking at them on the surface, because you can't intervene. Because you can't reprimand. Because you can't correct the behavior of something bad. You become just as culpable as that bad officer. But here's, here's one of the things I actually want to get into. is because one of the things, again, is medical attention. Whenever an officer applies... A use of force option. Note, there are multiple things that they can do. Oh, the seven non-lethal and the one lethal. Okay, when they apply one of those options, basically restraining someone, that results in either obvious sign or complaints of injury or difficulty breathing. The officer will continuously monitor the subject and immediately summon medical attention. Now, I'm going uh, to play devil's advocate here for just a second because in their own policy that they were exonerated from, these four officers were exonerated. One of the things that they're being sued for in federal court is failing to train law enforcement officers to provide medical aid or get assistance. Byron Williams, who had four 200 plus pound men lay on his head, neck, and shoulders, or head, back, and shoulders. <laughs> For not having a bicycle light, you know, the things that don't come on a bicycle. 
was not given medical attention after being after stating to the officer 24 times that he could not breathe. You know, the chest cold we have that restricts our breathing. He had four 200 plus pound men on his head, back, and shoulders. Did not receive medical treatment for one full hour. Sounds familiar? Eight minutes and 56 seconds. Derek Chauvin sat on the carotid artery of George Floyd, who defecated on himself, cried out for his mama, stated he couldn't breathe for several minutes. Nine minutes afterwards, the paramedics come, and the first thing they say is, he's dead. Derek Chauvin's stock language did not reflect that in his report. Byron Williams cried out, I can't breathe, 24 times. Nevada, medical attention. Whenever an officer applies a use of force option upon a subject that results in either obvious signs or complaints, he complained 24 times, or difficulty breathing, he complained of difficulty breathing 24 times. The officer will continuously monitor, monitor the subject and immediately summon medical attention. Immediate in the eyes of these four officers was one hour. Do you realize what you can do in an hour? The fact that they thought that was okay. That was the thing. Because again, it's clear to me it was as it's written. But they were exonerated. Remember when I say you're talking to children about their siblings? That's not how you get... You're complaining to police about police. You talk about how bad police are, you encounter a bad police officer, and then you complain to other bad police officers about the bad police officer. And they're exonerated. And the problem is... The people you're complaining to are being paid by the Nevada Police Department and they're voluntary. They're what I call police apologists. But why would you bite the hand that feeds you? Because there is a means of holding these people responsible and forcing change. Because if you're looking at them using revenue, they have to get a new revenue model if more than 5% of people they encounter fight back. Because if 95% of the people I punch in the mouth never hits back, why should I change? I might get swung at five times. Okay, cool. Because out of that five, I'll win one. So 96% of the time, I'm winning. 96% of the time, I'm winning. Why? Because 96% of people are giving it to me. I got to fight for just 4%. If I got up every day and only gave 4% towards life, where would that leave me? That's what we're doing with our legal system. We're not looking for change. We're hoping to throw something at it and somebody else do something for it. Because most people didn't even realize an officer using a canine is a use of force tactic. But allowing that canine to excessively bite someone is a violation. Because again, that canine, that dog, 
is supposed to be trained well enough not to inflict unnecessary harm on someone. Because even though you have a gun, SWAT, generally when they show up to a scene, it's because those people are ready to fight back and they have guns. They have other things that are deterrents for going in, yet they use rubber bullets. They're still not a life-taking mechanism. So why is an untrained, undereducated person that is not professional, nor have the ability to think, given something that takes life and is often doing that, drawing that on first instinct. Because they're doing what they're trained to do. They're using the same stock language from state to state, from county to county, from city to city. <laughs> but we're supposed to believe they're the good guys. We're watching police officers manufacture evidence. I literally did my last podcast where I spoke about one guy actually having the wherewithal to say, hey, if I lie here, nobody's going to pay attention to it because most people don't read because he understands the law of numbers. And here's the great part about it. It was probably an accident. Because he even told his supervisor. And his supervisor allowed him to continue doing it. But guess what? He had been fired previously for doing that somewhere else. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to get to something real quick. What happens is you have a lot of these officers that go out and they encounter people. They're doing things to generate revenue. They're doing things to generate a response. And when they get that response, they become excited. During that excitement, the violations begin. The fear tactics. The things that most of us are dreaded because, again, the programming then kicks in. Because I often hear people, well, well, nobody's, they're not going to do nothing because the officer said so. But you forget that you get to make them prove everything. And you don't have to prove anything. Because this is actually one of those where it's kind of personal to me because I actually talked about this several times because between the age of 16 to, I'll say, 32, 33-ish, because it actually, you know, it crept up, but it slowed down, you know, significantly after 32. But a general traffic stop, traffic stop, whether I was on the driver's side, while I was operating the conveyance, or if I was a passenger, a normal stop for me was cops getting out of their car. Guns drawn. Forcing people out of the car. Being thrown on my face. On a, generally on I-20. A knee in my back, a gun to my head, and someone screaming. And most of the time, it was a cop that was doing that. You know, Kevin Dingle called him the professional. Kevin Dingle referred to him as someone that de-escalates situation. Several times. The cop was the one that was escalating the situation. Several times. 
the cop was the one being belligerent because he was trying to invoke a response. The one thing I learned was you don't get in arguments with idiots. There's no need because I can't beat you here. Because I even had a friend of mine, he's a cop, and we were joking because he was referring to my size. And he goes, he said, oh, if I was arresting you, I would do this and I would do that. And I said, no, you wouldn't. He's, he looked at me and said, why? I said, because I'm going with you. He said, oh, so you just come in? I said, absolutely. I said, because I'm too big for what you write on that paper not to be true. And he, he didn't understand what I was saying. I understand the character that I portray for the most part. I understand what people think about me when they look at me. 6'4", 300 plus pounds. I hardly ever smile. My eyebrows connect. My skin is dark. It's weaponized. I get it. I understand. I appreciate it. So you write down, oh, he did this, he did that. Guess what? It's easy to believe because it's not outside the character of what's being programmed. I get it. That's why it's oftentimes when people hear me speak, their eyes open up because I don't speak with slang. Because I don't go shouting know what I mean. Because I don't give a shit if you know what I mean or not. I want you to understand. I have a vision for my people. Sometimes I have to ask, do you see what it is I see? Do you feel as I feel? Do you believe as I believe? And even if it's not, it's okay. Because guess what? I'm still going to be here doing the exact thing for the same people that actually do want it. At any point, you don't like it, get off the train. It's cool. Still got love for you because it's the exact same as if you were here. Because I want you to understand, I'm giving this because every time I speak, because DMX was one of my favorite rappers. One of his favorite lines, <laughs> he said, I put my heart on paper. I put my soul on paper. It's so much fire, I burn a hole in the paper. Well, I'm not putting this on paper. I'm typing this on my MacBook. I'm speaking this. I'm giving it life through this podcast. I'm putting it out in the universe. Because I want it to be beyond me. Because every time I sit down and I do this, I'm trying to give you substance because I'm a substantive person. I am giving you part of me. I'm giving you my heart. I am pouring out my soul. If you're accepting it, you're the person I'm talking to. If you don't, that's cool with me too. Because every time I sit down, it's for a purpose. That purpose is always going to be greater than me. And at the end of the day, I'm here. To not just give you something, but it's to help you understand and for you to paint a picture for you. I want you to not just look at the Supreme Court cases. I want you to understand how to apply them. I want you to understand the situations where they are applicable. Because knowing what they are and how to use them are separate things. They are separate learning mechanisms. That's what I'm here for. That's what I'm doing. 
Now, no, I don't give it to you all at one time because you remember I told you this is home cooking. I want to make sure you can digest your food. So keep that in mind because if you're going through these guidelines that these police officers have, these professionals, these de-escalation professionals, there should never say that one. There should never be an officer-involved shooting at a traffic stop unless the person being detained is the one initiating the shooting. Because, again, we talked about the reciprocation. The officer can only respond with what is given to them. We shouldn't have a Sean Bell. We shouldn't have an Eric Gardner. We shouldn't have a George Floyd. We shouldn't have a Michael Ramirez. We shouldn't have a Breonna Taylor. We shouldn't have a Botham John. We shouldn't have a Byron Williams. Because those weren't the things that these people were giving. So those aren't the things that these people should have received. 